Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's FMH InsureCast. We are going back to the basics on multi-parallel crop insurance. I am Ryan Bennis, your host, and I am here today with a special guest, Sheila Baker. He's our underwriting manager here at FMH. Sheila, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do here at FMH. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Uh, my name is Sheila Baker. I'm one of the underwriting managers here at FMH on the crop underwriting side. Um, been with FMH for um, going on nine years and in the crop insurance industry for about 16. So uh, I'm excited to be on the show. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. She's a, a, a breadth of knowledge on the multi-parallel crop insurance side of things. And so uh, we kind of use those things interchangeably, MPCI, multi-parallel crop insurance, federal crop insurance, all those are the same thing. What is it though? Well, that's a, a very small word, but it houses a whole lot of things, right? So um, I think the thing to remember, especially as we go through some of this, is these are pretty quick overviews of what some of this might be. But to just summarize crop insurance, I think it's, if you think about it as a safety net for farmers, it's something that farmers, all farmers can use, whether they might have nurseries, greenhouses, uh, maybe they just have a farm that they sell produce at a roadside stand, typical row crops, uh, along with like fruit trees, orchards, that type of uh, information. So um, it's uh, just a safety net for them, way for them to sleep at night, just like we have with our homeowner's insurance or auto insurance. And you mentioned uh, it's a subsidized program. What does that mean? Yeah. So it is a government program. So everything that we have uh, when it comes to rates, our rules, regulations that we have to follow on the crop insurance program, it's all done by the government. So it's not our fault. It's not our fault. <laughs> <laughs> Underwriting gets a bad rap a lot of the time, but I promise it's not our fault. Um, so it, yes, it's a subsidized program, which means that we are uh, backed by the government. Every policy on average has a 62% subsidy. Um, so whether you grow you know, one acre to thousands, there is a subsidy that goes along with the program. Um, the good and bad of that is that we do rely on the government and programs that they deliver. So it's kind of fun also to be a part of that side, right? Because as uh, constituents, we all need to, you know, be advocating for that program. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So um, let's just use a generic MPCI. Again, that's multi-barrel crop insurance. What exactly does it protect farmers against? Sure. So I think the if you just think about it very simple terms, anything that's a naturally occurring event. So when you think about farmers and what they face coast to coast, you're looking at all different types of weather events. Could be something from drought to excessive moisture, wind, hail, whatever it might be. Um, but again, try to think of it as something that's naturally occurring. There are other products that would cover other things, but from a multi-parallel the government program is more naturally occurring events. I remember when I was first starting off in crop insurance and my dad works for the for the FMH as well. He said it's an act of God policy. Yep. Anything that's naturally occurring, it's an act of God policy. And then there's one extra. I wouldn't call it an extra God, act of God, excuse me, which is uh, revenue insurance. Right. right. Which is a very popular plan. So if you know anything about multiparal, you probably know about revenue protection right. insurance. Right. And of course, that protects farmers against prices going up or down, but we will 
we'll touch on that yeah. again later. Yeah. So, yep. Um, okay. So how do we know? So we have protection against weather right. as let's just put it that way. Right. But as far as the farmer, like there's always going to be some weather events and they have good yeah. years and bad years. How do they know if they have a loss? Yeah. So to get into losses, I think you kind of have to start at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. You got to start with what we call an APH or their actual production history. Um, the good thing about crop insurance is you could be a beginning farmer or somebody that's been in it for a long time and be able to have coverage. Um, an actual production history or APH, as you'll probably hear me say, talking in the acronyms, um, is really just a 10-year history of what that farmer has grown on that piece of land. So when it comes to that, there's though that's where you get into a little of the complication when it comes down to it, because what I call yield helpers are different options that are available. Um, you take take the derecho, right? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it was pretty detrimental to a lot of people in that certain area, but there were programs or options in place to help that actual production history to be able to bring it back up to what it should be. Um, so it's kind of, it, you start with your, your APH is kind of the basis of it. And then at that point, you're picking a coverage level, uh, to basically protect against that APH. Yeah. So I think of it as your, your average yields over yep. that 10 year period and you buy a certain percentage of that. And so, like you mentioned, it's, uh, for almost all of our plans, the percentages range from 50 to 85 yep. in 5% increments. So if I have a 200 bushel average of corn, yep. I'm buying a percentage of that 200, 200. bushel av yep. average. Um, and you mentioned some of those helpers yeah. and I'll throw a couple of them out. We won't get into detail here today, but trend adjustment, yep. yield exclusion, uh, yield adjustment, yep. uh, quality loss, all of these things are popular add-ons to help out when we have either very large losses in a particular year or trend adjustments kind of more of a blanket of, uh, hey, over time, our hybrids are getting right, better, exactly. yields are getting better. Yeah. So what I produced 10, 20 years ago isn't really what I expect to produce today. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, too, is when you think about just a traditional row crop, you might have some crop rotation in there, right? So some of these are also helping the people that maybe it takes a while to get to a full 10 year of their averages. So uh, that's another thing that I think some of those helpers really uh, help um, those different <laughs> farmers as well. So Right. Okay, so we have a we have a, an APH, and we are able to buy a certain percentage of that. But then, even within that, we have different plan options, right? right? So, right. tell me about a few of those different plan options. Yeah, so um, I would say you have kind of to categorize those. You have an area plan, and you have individual plans. Um, and I think when you're talking individual plans, is probably where a lot of policies are written. You're looking at basically two different types of plans there. You have a yield plan, which is just going to protect that, your yield. So just like we talked about your average APH and whatever uh, percentage of coverage that you elected for your crop, that's the coverage you're going to have. Um, then, like you mentioned back at the beginning, when we talk and add the revenue piece of the puzzle uh, into this, you have your revenue protection plans. Your revenue protection is basically going to help... Um, it, you have your yield, so that yield will stay there as well, that protection against your uh, production. But the other thing that it will add on to is your uh, pricing. So when we, in crop insurance, we have our spring price that's set at the beginning of the year, um, and then we also have a harvest price. So whether that harvest price goes up or down, that revenue protection policy. And I think 2023 is a prime example of where this revenue protection 
has is really showing. Right. And we've mentioned this in a couple of our other yep. uh, podcasts, but um, yeah, so we started off with price at 591 on corn and finished at 488. And so that's where that revenue protection really shine, where we have a lot of losses that are uh, getting generated just because of that price drop, right. even when there wasn't maybe a yield, yield loss, loss to go yep. with it. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. Tell me about a few of the other ones. <laughs> um. So a few of the other ones. So I kind of mentioned at the beginning that we have, um, you know, anything that can cover nurseries to, you know, um, greenhouses to whatever is out there. Um, another big one is uh, pasture rangeland forage. Um, so that one is going to protect against acres that you might have uh, for grazing any kind of livestock or haying. And um, that one is more of a what I'd call a rainfall index product where it is going to protect against maybe not getting enough rain to help that pasture grow. Um, so that's one. We have a whole farm revenue protection policy uh, that is basically for kind of what I talked about at the beginning, that maybe it's for a producer that just doesn't have a revenue product available because the government doesn't have enough policies in an area. Um, it might be, you know, a, a good example of that is probably out um, maybe in the West Coast where a lot of those roadside stands. So you have some farmers that have maybe 20 different kinds of crops but not really grown in that area as a normal. So um, this is a way for them to have coverage. Um, you have margin protection, right? Which you are definitely would be way better to speak on that than me. Um, but yeah, so there's, you know, when we talk about crop insurance, just to go back a little bit, I guess, you know, there are like 130 different crops that can be insured. And then you also have in 2022 alone, there was 490 million acres that were actually insured through the program. So when we say it's pretty much for everyone, it is. Um, there's probably a plan that can fit what you have. Right. Yeah. If, if you don't have coverage, they're probably working on right, it. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the whole farm is kind of that blanket one that yep. it kind of loops everybody in if, if there isn't a specific plan out there. But yeah. Um, yeah. awesome. Okay. So let's let's zero back in. I mean, <laughs> uh, it, we are in corn and soybean country. Right. So right. <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's figure that we are writing a policy for a typical corn or soybean farmer, um, how might a farmer decide which plan makes the most sense? Yeah. So um, I think when it, you know, if you just very high level think about it, it's what is that farmer having to put in to grow that crop, mm -hmm. right? So you want to be able, at, I mean, no different than any type of business plan, right? Like you want to be able to cover your costs and be able to stay afloat um, mm -hmm. in the case of a disaster. Uh, so, you know, I think they're looking at that. Um, I think the by the government actually having subsidies in there, right, they're taking on some of that risk as well. So it's a good, um, you know, again, I'll go back to safety net because that's what it is that allows both the farmer to have to pay into that for some premium and the risk that they're taking on. But then also the government helps back that as well. Yeah, and I think we've mentioned it on the show before, but, you know, kind of the overriding reason why the government steps in and helps subsidize crop insurance is because they want farmers to protect right. themselves. They want farmers to stay in business. Absolutely. So that we can keep food cheap. Exactly. And in the U US here, um, we have as a percentage of our uh, spent money, as a percentage of the money we spend yearly, food is one of the lowest in the world mm -hmm. as far as a percentage of, of uh, what we purchase throughout the year. So. Right. I don't know if I said that really well, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> that's, no, I get where you're that's going. the principle of it. Yep. Um, yep. 
Okay, so somebody that's either new to buying a policy or even writing a policy, if you're a new agent out there, uh, what kind of paperwork? What's what's the what's the crop insurance cycle look like? What is the responsibility of the farmer and the agent? Yeah, so this gets into obviously kind of the the meat and potatoes of it, right? What I do every day. So um, when I look at crop insurance, I try to break it down to somebody that's maybe just getting into it. First, it's having that good agent partner, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a farmer, I think it's making sure you're in contact with that agent from the beginning. Um, But when you think about it, I try to break it down into kind of three cycles. Um, You have your contract cycle, which is kind of your application processing time. You have the planting piece, which is um, your acreage reporting. And then obviously harvest time, you're looking at more production reporting. Um, And so then you kind of just start into the process then. So, but, and so we're, Again, corn and soybean country. So yep. we think of the, the big dates being um, March 15th. That's yep. your sales closing date. That would be when applications are due. Correct. July 15th, acreage reporting date, right? Yep. And then we have production reporting <laughs> date, which oh, we're glad we're doing a 101 today and not a 201. <laughs> but a, a production reporting date, which is not actually until April 29th of the following year. Again, this is for corn and soybeans in, in the Midwest. Um, if you go outside of our area or for different crops, it's going to be slightly different dates. But those are the big ones. Right, right. But back to the first one, an application. Yep. What would it look like for a farmer to apply for coverage? And what are the agent's responsibilities too? Sure. Yeah. So, um the big thing is the application, right? Like you're setting the policy up to be in force all year long. You get one chance to do that, which is your sales closing date. Uh, and there's, again, it's a government program. So a lot of that, we don't, again, to your point at the beginning, we don't have a lot of say if something doesn't come in right. We can't go back and backdate something. We can't change what might've came in. I think the biggest thing here um, that I would just encourage people to, if if I can throw in some tips, because yeah. again, from an underwriting standpoint, this is- Give us all the yeah. tips, Sheila. <laughs> we, the, I think that's one thing that maybe intimidates farmers and, and agents yeah. in this program is that it does feel rigid at times. Right. So we need all the tips yeah. we can get. <laughs> um, yeah. So when you're filling out an application, obviously it's a lot of your just the operator's information, right? So your name, your social security number, um, who's has interest in that crop and why that's so important is for a lot of things. Like it is a government program. So we need to make sure that the payments are going to who they say they're going to. Right. Um, but as you start to look, and this might get into a little bit of the 201s, but as you start to look, um, at the government, you have USDA, right. That has RMA underneath that. You have FSA underneath that. And I think we've seen more and more over the past few years how much those are tied together. And it's all based on that personal information. So when you look at things like a um, you know, disaster payments from FSA, you look at conservation compliance. If those things aren't right up front, that causes a lot of problems when we get to billing, to claim time, all of that information. So, you know, that sounds like a very basic thing, right? Just your name, address, social security number, whatever you might be providing. Um, but it's super important. And and we do get a lot of um, applications in that don't have that information correct. Um, we do have a lot of system edits that help find those. But at the same time, anything we can get right up front is important. And that's to your point, that's a lot of what you do day to day and your team yes. is to to make sure during that application season that 
what has been entered into our system because mm-hmm. once once these applications are done, we ask that the the agent key those into our system yep. uh, to make sure that what was applied for on the paper application matches what has actually been keyed into the system. And it's up to the agent and the farmer to make sure that that information is correct. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing to remember with this program. It is a self-certifying program, right? So um, what's coming in on the application is what we will ensure. Um, and like I said, so not only are you doing the name information, but you're also going to give us crops that you uh, want to ensure as well as plans, coverage levels, talk about those yield helpers. A lot of those have that sales closing date as a deadline. So we have to have that stuff in again, speaking to corn and soybeans in the Midwest by that March 15th date. Um, and then obviously there's a lot of different um, things that we're doing. So as underwriters, and I probably should have mentioned that at the beginning, we have a team of um, 29 underwriters that that all do all this work. Um, I just get to talk about it instead. So, um, but they obviously are busy every day going through every application. You're right, Ryan. We're looking at everything, checking it, making sure everything's set up correctly. And one thing before we leave here and go to acreage reporting, I think I wanted to throw in, because I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it unit structure and unit structure is something that is also well kind of has to be done by (laughs) uh, application season especially the most popular unit structure out there is enterprise units and simply what enterprise units means is that for a single crop in a county we're putting all of that production together to see if we have a loss Um, and then a optional units is really where we have different sections of ground that we can break up into different pieces and we can ensure those all separately. Right. And so we could have a loss on one, but not the other. Yep. And so that actually costs a little bit more. Government doesn't subsidize it as much, but typically that decision point between an optional or an enterprise unit um, has to be done by sales closing yep. day. Yep. Now there's more unit structures than that, but again, that, I think we that's should. That's pretty good from a sales guy. Oh, I mean, wow. You know, underwriting's always uh <laughs> saying, I don't know if sales knows these uh, <laughs> rules, but yeah, you yes. did good. <laughs> All um, right. So we've applied for coverage. Um, and then soon after, you know, we're getting into planting. What is the next step? What is the next step by both a farmer and agent here? Yeah. So when it comes to planting, and actually I might take one step back and mm-hmm. just kind of, um, so we talked about the March 15th date, right? So from a farmer's perspective, that's when they have to oh, have everything sure. signed by. Um from an agent perspective, though, I would say, you know, we have a deadline of 15 days to key all that into the system because we know everybody's busy up till that March 15th date. So there is some leeway for the, for any agents that are listening as well that they can key that information in. So um, busy time, but definitely some room to work with there. Uh, but to your question, Ryan, I think acreage reporting is next. So obviously, like I mentioned, self-certifying program. So the insured and the agent are the ones that fill out our acreage report. Um, basically what they're doing there is telling us exactly what they planted in terms of acres by their common land unit. Uh, so we have to get down to that CLU level um, as well as any plant dates. Um, and those are important to have as well, because again, liability is determined differently based on what the plant date might be. If it ends up being later than the late plant uh, or than the final plant date, then obviously there's different uh, reductions on that. So those would be the main things that are listed on an acreage report. The other thing that's super important that gets missed a lot is any added land. So if a farmer picks up new ground in that year, they might not know that at March, right? Different things happen throughout the year, but they end up picking up a piece of ground. 
that all can come in during acreage reporting time as well. Yeah. And so then we use those acres to establish their coverage and their premium. And we, right. we, we bill off of those acres. And one thing that is a pretty much a universal requirement in crop insurance is that you have to insure all of your acres. Yes. We do not get the chance to just pick and choose maybe those poor performing fields right. to insure. Um, so we usually have to report all acres. And, and that means if we find out later that some of those acres were not reported, you know, there's some repercussions down the line. Yep. So again, yes. that's another, it's another time to stop yeah. and say, get it right the first right. time. Yeah. Um, we have some leeway sometimes, and sometimes we don't, again, we're adhering to those, those government yep. rules. Yep. And unfortunately the problem usually becomes, when do we figure that out? It's mm -hmm. claim time, right? When those farmers need that check in their, you know, in their accounts. So um, that's why we try to catch all that stuff up front. You know, we have a lot of checks and balances, whether it's checking FSA information, you know, that to go along with what the agent's sending in. Um, the other thing I would really uh, stress too, from an acreage reporting and even an application and production is signatures. Um, you know, the signatures do have to be timely. Um, again, it, I know everybody's busy, I get it, but it is a government program. So we do have to make sure everything is signed timely. Um, so that's always a big one that we see quite a bit in underwriting is maybe coming in signed by just an agent or just the insured. So making sure we have both signatures that, that are signing off on that is really important as well. Absolutely. Okay. Now in, in the crop insurance world, maybe this isn't in the right order, but I wanted <laughs> right. to make this make sense. So we, we would think of production reporting coming next because um, after we've reported our acres, we've gone through harvest, we have our yields. And at that point, we, we may or may not have a claim, yep. depending on if we, if we had good enough yields or where the prices landed. Mm -hmm. um, but typically, we, we, you know, I guess I shouldn't say typically, some people have losses every year. Right. But uh, typically, if you don't have a loss, it's again, you, you said it a couple of times, a self-reporting program, they need to report their yields to us so that they can keep building that 10-year APH database, yep. uh, which is what they buy their coverage off of. So production reporting, talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, this is probably the final of what I'd call that cycle. Um, and you're exactly right. It's just what did you harvest off of that, those acres that you reported to me a few months ago, right? So when you're thinking about that, it kind of goes into a little bit of what you talked about with unit structure, right? So depending on how you, um, what your unit structure is can determine how you need to report that production. Um, so we need production numbers. Um, usually those just get put on a report, uh, our production report, and then submitted into us. We are doing the same thing at that point. You know, there's a lot, this is where we get into probably the most keen errors that we see. Not because of anything anybody's doing intentionally, but it's a lot of numbers, right? This is the the heavy number time, I would call it. And so we have a lot of system edits that will prevent us from allowing a really high bushel yield to go through, something like that. But so I think just, you know, what I would encourage people to do if I get to say that um, to agents and farmers is just taking time to do that because it is a pretty important because that history stays with you for, you know, it's building that 10 year, 20 year, whatever it might be. So having those numbers accurate is really important. Yeah. And I would say, you know, that I mentioned at the top that production reporting date, again, for typical corn and soybean growers is not until April 29th of the following year. 
However, and hopefully good agents will also All echo right. this. We really want to get that production yeah. in probably pretty soon after harvest. And there's a, there's a few good reasons. One, uh, it's fresh on the mind, mm-hmm. right? The longer we wait, it's like, okay, I have all these settlement sheets. I can't remember where, what yeah. came from what. Um, and then on top of that, if we have that uh, production in there, then we have our APH databases updated, which means that we can quote then more accurately for the following year. So definitely want to get that production reported uh, sooner rather than later. And if there happens to be a claim, there's some deadlines on claims as well. So if you're going through production and you realize, oh, yeah, maybe this unit did have a loss, um, you can't, we can't necessarily settle that claim if that is not coming out until the following April. Okay. Sheila, you have a magic wand (laughs) and you're going to tell all of the agents and farmers out there that they're never going to make these these couple mistakes anymore what are the t- the most common things that you would like to see never happen again oh that's a tall order and i'm sure all the <laughs> underwriters are <laughs> wishing they could say exactly this but um you know i think one is just filling out documents completely and i again i know that sounds super basic but it is the same form i mean you have an application every year you have a production report every year and you have an acreage report every year so it does for people that use crop insurance every year it does get a little bit repetitive right and especially for those row croppers that maybe just rotate every year so from corn to beans um but what i would say is just take the time because again like i mentioned more and more programs are tied to crop insurance and so to prevent any headaches at claim time or when those farmers are needing that money it's really important to have that stuff um, set in stone as we get it. Um, and then the other thing I would just say, if I if I get to, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the second one would be uh, just getting stuff in timely, right? Um, it's a lot easier for us to be able to make changes to things if things are done before a deadline. Um, mistakes happen, right? We all do it. So it's just a matter of trying to get things in timely so then we have more time to get it right. Um, but with all that being said, I mean, I get it. Mistakes happen. So we will talk and try to work through anything we can. Um, but again, probably my two would be getting forms filled out completely and accurately and then getting them in timely. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I'll give you the last word, even though that was your magic wand. Yeah. Anything <laughs> else that you would you would uh, leave our audience with before I let him go? I don't think so. I mean, I think we're lucky to have crop insurance and I, I'm very fortunate to work in the industry to be able to help farmers. So, um, I, you know, I would say any, you know, any questions that you have, we're here to help. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sheila, for joining me today to discuss how multiparal crop insurance works, the, a quick 101 or basics on multiparal. Um, and thank you for watching and listening to this episode of the FMH InsureCast. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos and follow our podcast on all of the popular podcast apps. And with that, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. 
Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.